I'm really, really glad to be here and on so many levels. First of all, I'm really glad he didn't, uh, he didn't introduce me as Pastor Jennings because I was going to have to deal with that. Uh, you know, I'm, <clears throat> y'all, I'm Dennis here and uh, I want you to know that. Uh, this is Pastor Jennings here. And do you, Pastor Ben or Ben or, or I've called him a lot of other things in his life. Uh, so it's really good to know that he has that. Uh, he has earned the title. Anytime somebody calls me pastor, uh, I will tell you that it is a, um, I take that as a, a compliment in, in the sense that they, uh, it's at some level, they recognize the role uh, that God has given to me. And I will tell you that it is a great joy in my heart to, uh, to be here today and uh, to know uh, that many of you and most of you, all of you, have embraced Ben and Megan and Milan, Audrey and Zeke, my kids, my grandkids, which is really the payback for not killing your kids is to get the grandkids. Um, it's, uh, it, it is a joy to me to hear some of you talk about Pastor Ben. And, and of course, Corey and Jessica um, are our kids too. Uh, did they did they head the kids area back there? Somebody, are you guys in here? Oh, there's Jess back there. Yeah, I mean, Jess, that one I will cry about. I won't cry much about Ben, but that that she was a little girl, and her mom and dad, sweet people. And love them, and they were such a vital part of our ministry and our lives for a long time. And and uh, Corey, uh, Corey, and and his family the same. Uh, so we're really, really glad to be here. Um, I have uh, boy, I got so many things that I want to say to you, uh, Trinity Baptist and Finley. First of all, you're an amazing church uh, because of your love for missions and missionaries. I want to thank you. You support a number of our missionaries. And uh, there is a partnership uh, that exists between your church and our church because together you help us do what neither one of us could do by ourselves. I got, I've, I've got missionaries. We've got missionaries. I, I call them in the hopper, in the oven, whatever you want to say. But uh, I've got uh, an, an couples that are still in, in Springfield that are training right now. I've got Matt and Emily Brown. You guys are going to want to have Matt and Emily up here uh, at some point. I've got Jesse Wilson, who is a, a single young lady. I'm meeting right now with two other couples who just surrendered uh, in our conference, and I'm trying to talk them out of it. I'm trying to talk them out of going. And you know why? Because if I can talk them out of going, God wasn't in it to begin with. And you say, preacher, would you really do that? Absolutely I would. They've got to be convinced that it's God's call. Uh, If they don't, boy, the first sign of of trouble or tension, they'll fold their tents and come home. And uh, we don't want to see that. We we don't want to call anybody. Uh, We trust the Holy Spirit of God to call. I will never forget the first conference that we had in St. Petersburg was uh, uh, there was a, a, a very few people that were there. We had a lady that had given over half of our faith promise missions. Uh, I didn't know it. 
I hadn't been pastor. I, I, I became pastor the last part of December. Melanie, Ben's first mom, died on Mother's Day. And uh, in August, this little senior widow lady died, lived in a little trailer in Florida, didn't have air conditioning. I mean, she, was, she lived in an oven. Uh, but, uh, but when she passed away, the next month, half of our Faith Promise Missions wasn't there. And in October, half of the, the Faith Promise missions wasn't there. And I, I, I started saying, we've got to figure this out. Come to find out this one little lady was giving. Now, there, there wasn't, it wasn't a lot of people there. Uh, 22 people voted on us to come. Uh, but what we determined was, as a group, I, I, I got the, the leaders together and I said, here's where we're at. These missionaries that our church is committed to support, by faith, we've been supporting them. And yes, we're, we don't have it in the missions fund, but we've got it in the general fund. So until we got time to put a mission conference together, we've got to continue to support these people. And do you know we did that until February. We put a, 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 a mission conference together. We needed $1,100 a month uh, that t to meet those missionary obligations. Do you know uh, that at, when we took our faith promise commitments, we had over $3,000 a month that came in. And that year we started, that, that just proved to our church how, how much God is in it. God is in this thing. When we get on board with what God wants to do in this world, you can expect God to bless it. And do you know that we prayed in that first conference in, uh, that would have been 19... Uh, uh, 92, February of 1992, we prayed in that conference that God would bring somebody to our church that would get saved, be called, and send out. And I believe you support that couple. Uh, Richie and Missy Oreck uh, were saved in our church. In fact, he was saved in my pickup uh, right after 9-11 when we went and led a guy named Lenny to the Lord. Richie felt sorry for me because I was going to go by myself um, to go see him. And he said, I'll go with you, Pastor. And so uh, Lenny got saved, and we got back out of the truck, and, and I started to turn my truck around. Richie said, Pastor, don't pull out onto the four lane. I'm not saved, and I don't want to die. And I, I started laughing at him. I said, well, you know what to do. And it just showed you, and Richie's crying in the front seat of my pickup, called on Jesus and asked him to save him. And, and I'm telling you, when you, get, when you start praying for people like that, God does that kind of thing. That's what the Lord does. And beginning at that point, our church began to send some missionaries out. And I can't begin to tell you, 15 years ago, I became pastor of, of Cherry Street Baptist Church. God has been so good to our church. I'd been a, a, a member for five years before that. And God had laid on the, uh, the heart and the life of Dr. Kenneth Gilming, uh, who was also a, a professor at Baptist Bible College, but he was not just a professor, he was a doer. He was a soul winner. He had a missions heart. And Dr. Gilming started that church and he began to, uh, to teach people, to reach, teach, and minister to others in Springfield and beyond. And then continued after that. They had just two other pastors in the 65-year history. Um, a guy by the name of Harold Brown who's now in heaven and then Ken Gilming, Dr. Gilming's son. And over the years, our church has had many different looks it looks a lot different. We're in different location than it did when we started in the Stearns garage. Uh, but I want to tell you, the mission still remains the same. Your church looks different than it did 
when it started all those years ago uh, under Brother Melioni. I know that's true. But I will tell you, some things have not changed. And what hasn't changed is this church has had an unwavering commitment to proclaim the gospel to the lost, teaching God's word to equip and challenge believers who will get involved to do what God wants done in Finley and beyond. And I praise God that this church is doing what God has called you to do. Uh, It's a joy to look across the crowd this morning and to see uh, some people that I didn't see the first time I came here. And I've heard stories. I, I, I actually know your pastor and we talk from time to time like every day. Every day I get a call. Uh, 6.30 in the morning. It's dead. It's 7.30 here. Are you up? Yeah. Yeah, I'm up. He's so excited. Somebody gets saved. He's so excited. It's so exciting to hear what God's doing through you and in you. And I love to talk about it. I I, I love to talk about what God is doing. Christians love to talk about a lot of things, don't we? We love to talk about heaven. How many of you like to think about heaven? I had had two funerals last week, going to have one next week. Uh, A a 27-year-old young lady in our church went home to be with the Lord. Tragedy, sudden, awful circumstance. A, an 84-year-old lady went home to be with the Lord last week. Uh, she'd been suffering for a long, long, long time. You know what was, what was the common theme of those two funeral services? Beulah land, I'm longing for you. And someday on thee I'll stand. There my home shall be eternal. Do you know that? Beulah land, sweet Beulah land. Those are the themes of the song. We love to sing songs about heaven, the reality of heaven, what heaven's like. We love to talk about it. Who's going to be there? What the rewards are going to be like? Then we talk sometimes about what it's going to take to sustain us between here and there. Do you ever talk about that? Like, how am I going to make it between here and heaven? We get to thinking, how am I going to make it financially? Between here and the time the Lord calls us home. I'm getting old. Stop. That was not the appropriate. Your timing has never been good with that. I'm getting old and the older I get, the more I want to go to heaven. Uh, Ben's grandfather passed away uh, Friday night late. And and, um, that's my first wife, Melanie's dad. And Papa's home in heaven. And, and everything that Papa intended to do before this life was over, he did. Six months ago, Granny went to heaven, and they prepared, and they, they lived the last years of their life loving one another, serving Jesus in their church, doing what they could. They, they prepared and they lived out those things. And you and I, the older we get, we get to thinking about that. How am I going to make it? If you're young, you're thinking about uh, make everything you can, Save all you can, put it in a can, sit on the can. I mean, you do everything you can to keep all you can, right? And as you get older, you get to looking at the can and saying, I I had more in this can than I thought I 
did and, and I can, but I can't. And I could if I would, but I can't, so I won't. And we have all this, we have all this thing. How are we going to make it between now and heaven? And then we get to not only thinking about financially, but we get to thinking about it just physically. I got news for you. You have an expiration date. I've got an expiration date. One of these days, it's going to be my day. One of these days, it's going to be your day. And you and I've got to make, make some, uh, some real decisions about how we're going to make it between now and that day. You know what's going to get you there? We walk by faith and not by sight. We, we have to walk by faith and not by sight. So we sing about heaven. We want to know about heaven. And we ask ourselves, can I trust God with my future? Now, how many of you say, I've trusted God. I'm on my way to heaven and I'm not ashamed of it today. I know Jesus is my Savior and I'm going and I'm glad I'm going. I am. I'm looking forward to it. But if you've trusted him with your eternity, can you trust him in this temporal life that we have? Can you trust him between now and eternity? If, if I ask you this morning, so I, I ask you, how many of you Christians, how many of you know the Lord? I don't want you to raise your hands on this one. But if I ask you, how many of you are missionaries here this morning? I don't think near as many hands would go up. And there's this difference in the hand count is a, a fundamental misunderstanding of our responsibility as believers to take the gospel. It's what we're going to do with the gospel between now and Beulah land. Between now and the time we get to heaven. I, I am telling you, uh, we have such a responsibility to go with the gospel. I, I, I heard uh, I, I, that about a father who overheard his young son tell his mother, I ain't going to the dentist. And the father said, first of all, you are going, but you will also use good grammar. You see, son, you don't say I ain't going. And then he began to describe to his son the proper way to conjugate the verb in that statement. He said, son, here's the way you would say it. I am not going, you are not going, he is not going, we are not going, you all are not going, they are not going. Do you understand now, son? And the little boy said, yes, sir, sounds to me like there ain't nobody going. Well, can I tell you that we live in a, in a country that is supposedly a Christian country. We live in a culture, most Christian, boy, this is hard to say. I know, who, I know that I'm preaching to the choir here. But we live in a country that has a Christian culture of that, that really and truly are not, is not a culture that goes... It's a Christian consumer-driven culture. How many of you, maybe you said it. I, I probably said it in the past. I'm shopping for a church. Don't say that. Don't say that. Don't shop for a church. Pray for your church. 
If you're looking for a church, pray, God, lead me to a church, and then have criteria. I want to go where the Bible is preeminent, where Jesus is preached, where the gospel is clear, and where we understand the responsibility that we have to take the gospel around the world. That's the kind of church you want to be a part of. And that leads me to Acts chapter 1 this morning. In spite of what our Christian culture says, and I will tell you in the Christian culture, they would say, don't go. There's no reason to go. This is post-Christian America. Don't go. Brother Dress was talking about uh, conversations at a Thanksgiving table that his dad had with, with the gospel. Praise God that there's somebody uh, being willing to do that. You know, uh, but we live in a, in a country who says, oh no, that's fill in, the, fill in the blank with the label, right? That's, that's bigoted, that's crazy, that's private, that's... Listen, there is nothing more important than talking to somebody about their soul. I thought I'd get more out of that one. Acts 1.8, Jesus said... Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. This is one of the most important verses in the Bible. Quite frankly, this is the basis of any missions endeavor around the world. This could be described as the, the mission statement for the believer, the marching orders for the church. One, one pastor said, a Christian without the truth of this verse is like a doctor without medicine, a carpenter without a hammer, a teacher without books. This morning, I, I want you to clearly understand three aspects of this mission statement uh, that is given to us in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. That is for every believer. First thing I want you to understand is who Jesus is addressing here. Notice he says, ye shall. In fact, three times he says, ye. I'm sorry, two times in this verse he says, ye shall. Ye shall. The missionaries to be engaged. That's what we're talking about. Let's pray. Lord, I, I ask you to help us today to understand what it means to have a personal mission statement, a mandate that you have given to us. And I pray that you would bless us now, encourage us and strengthen us. And we praise you for all that you're going to do in this hour. Lord, I pray that over the next few days that you would just speak to our hearts. For those who are already involved in, in faith promise missions giving, I pray, Lord, that you would just help them and strengthen them and encourage them to look back and see how faithful you have been. And Lord, you would increase their faith uh, for this next commitment for next year they're about to make. Lord, there's some folks who uh, have been considering it. And I pray, Lord, that they would hear uh, and listen and get involved in the thing that's the closest to your heart, taking the gospel around the world. Lord, there may be some people who are here, even in this service this morning, who themselves need to hear the gospel. They need to understand how much you love them, that you died on the cross for their sins, and your offer of eternal life is an offer that you are ready to make to them this very morning. 
I pray no one would go away without Jesus today. That's my prayer. And we'll thank, thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice he says in Acts 1.8, Ye shall receive power and ye shall be witnesses. Now when NASA plans a mission into space, they name the team. At, at a football game, there's an emphasis on the starting quarterback, but the team has a name. At a basketball game, they announce the starting lineup. When Jesus names the mission team that he has for this church, he appoints his starters. He announces the lineup, and he does it with a single word, you. You. Now, the King James here says ye. Most of us automatically know or linguistically know that ye means you. But we may have forgotten that spiritually, ye means you. Ye means me. As we examine the historical group here uh, that received this first commission, I think we ought to be encouraged personally to engage in this mission, the gospel effort. Look at the resumes of these people that were gathered with Jesus that day uh, on, uh, as Jesus is getting ready to ascend from the Mount of Olives. Look at the resumes of these men. According, according to a 2020 uh, survey, by the way, 78% uh, of Americans lie on their resume. All right? So... Uh, the top fabrications include, include lying about having a degree and lying about being proficient at certain skills. Uh, the only degree I have is being hot all the time. It is, I'm burning up in here. Is it hot? Uh, I got that degree and uh, <laughs> that's, that was dumb. <laughs> you probably never heard Ben say anything like that. The other thing they lie about is having proficient skills. Well, these early disciples, they didn't embellish their resume at all. They were fishermen and tax collectors who would later be criticized as uneducated and unlearned men. In our vernacular, we would say they were farmers and CPAs. They were teachers and insurance Salesmen. They worked at McDonald's and Walmart. Some worked at the hospital. Others of them worked at stay-at-home moms. In, uh, in other words, these were ordinary people. God called common, ordinary people to serve Him and to change the world. And it will change your perspective on your job and on your life when you begin to realize that God may have placed you where you are for a gospel purpose. You think about what I just said. It might just change the perspective you have on your job, on where you are in your life. If you really understood that God may have put you exactly in the circumstances that you're living in right now for a gospel purpose. I heard about two missionaries who sold themselves into slavery so that they could take the gospel to an island that was filled with slaves. That was the only way that anyone was allowed to go to the island was if they were slaves. Two guys actually sold themselves into slavery in order to take the gospel. Now it's unlikely that God is going to, to call you to sell yourself as a slave. But would you be willing to flick to flip burgers 
for His glory? Would you be willing to build houses and work construction if God wanted a missionary in that profession? Would you be willing to drive a truck if Jesus needed a missionary to infiltrate the trucking industry? School teacher, are you a missionary in your classroom? I'm married to a teacher. Jana, I wish Jana could be here. She told me to tell you thank you for loving on her grandkids. That's what she said. And so I'm telling you, thank you for loving on Milana, Audrey, and Zeke, Ben, and Megan. And we appreciate that. Jana's a school teacher, has been all these years. My wife has this amazing way. She teaches in a public school, and those kids get the gospel on a regular basis. You know how she does it? In a public school. What she does is she finds out, she figures out, she asks these questions to figure out which kids go to church. Then she finds out which kids know the gospel. And then she uh, figures out how to pose questions to get the kids to ask questions. And when the kids ask the questions, the other kids then answer because she's already got her little missionaries spotted in her classroom. And those little missionaries get to lead other boys and girls in her classroom to Christ. And it happens every year. Moms and dads get saved because my wife is a missionary to the Rogersville schools. I'm thankful that she sees it that way. Let me ask you, stay-at-home mom, do you recognize the, the mission field around your table and in your neighborhood? The, the right view of where God has put you will give you a new perspective on everything you do, whether it's teaching school or making dinner and, and the kids that play with your kids. The Bible still says... Not many wise, not many noble are called. God used a donkey to speak. He used a teenage boy to slay a giant. He used a peasant girl to bring his son into this world. God used a cruel Roman cross to redeem his people. You say to yourself, well, I, I'm, I'm so ordinary. I'm so average. I, I'm so common. That's great news. You're exactly the kind of person God wants to use. And that was the resume of these men. Secondly, very quickly, look at the resolve in their minds. Now, there was a lot they didn't know. In fact, this entire dialogue was prompted by uh, the question that they asked back in verse 6. When they were therefore come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will thou at, time, at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They may, have well have, they may as well have asked, Lord, can you give us some of the, the details of what's going to happen uh, in, in the end times? They were asking for the charts. You know those old fancy charts when somebody's teaching Revelation? You know, they, that's, what, that's the kind of information they were looking for. Hey, when's all this going to take place? You said that this is going to happen. They believed what he said about it, right? And so they're asking this question, and Jesus answered them, no, I don't have charts, but I've got a commission. Lord, can you explain the eschatological timelines of, premillennium, of premillennialism? No, but my concern is not that. My concern is that you go and tell other people about me so that they can come and be with me forever. Well, they didn't know everything about the coming millennial kingdom, and, and neither do we. But they were convinced of one thing. 
They'd watched a carpenter from Nazareth open blind eyes, loosen the tongue of the mute, cleanse the lepers. They had seen him multiply fish and bread, calm the storm, walk on the water. Uh, they'd heard him teach like no man had ever thought. Uh, had, uh, they, they heard him teach like no man had ever taught. They were convinced that this man from Galilee showed mercy to the thieves and the harlots. Uh, they witnessed compassion and forgiveness from his heart and out of his mouth. They, they were there the night he was arrested. They knew he'd been nailed to a cruel Roman cross. They knew his body uh, had been placed in a grave. And they knew that he came forth from the tomb with power over death itself. What did they know? They knew Jesus. And I wonder this morning... Will you set aside all the things you don't know about the Bible, about all the things you don't know, to share with others what you do know? If you know Jesus as your Savior, you know enough. And you can do it. You say, preacher, I thought this was a mission conference. You're not supposed to be talking about me. It has to start with me. It has to start with me. The resumes of these men, the resolve in their mind... And then thirdly, look at the requirement of the master. Our text here, Acts 1.8, is one of five passages called the Great Commission. All the Gospels record this command of Jesus. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go ye into all the nations. Uh, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Mark 16, 15. He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Luke 24, 47. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. John 20, 21. Jesus said unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you you and because that's true that means there are really only two kinds of believers there are witnesses and rebels witnesses and rebels now that means that praying about whether we're going to share the gospel is about as useless as praying about lying or praying about stealing, or praying about murder. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It is the great co-mission. It's Jesus' mission that he wants us to be a part of. In fact, he's not just inviting us, he is commanding us to join him. And you and I will never go on a mission with Jesus. We'll never be on that mission If we don't know what Jesus said in Acts 1.8, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you'll be witnesses unto me in Judea, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That is our mission statement. And it it addresses us, the missionaries to be engaged. Very quickly... It also addresses the means to be employed. Notice it says, ye shall receive power. Ye shall receive power. I heard about an airplane or an airline uh, that was uh, loading passengers on and they were weighing both the passengers and their bags. 
First of all, I don't want them to do that. But they did it. And some guy who was probably about my size came up to him and, and they said, why do you want to know that? And they said, well, we want to know how, how much fuel to put in the plane. And that guy said, just fill it up. <laughs> just fill it up. I, I, you know, don't, don't put an extra 10 gallons in. I mean, fill the thing up. That's what I want. What if we have to circle? Fill it up. Well, if you're flying through 10,000 feet in the air, you, you want to make sure you've got enough power. But let me ask you, do we have enough power? The Lord said you'll receive power. And when I use that word power, I'm talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit is a person. The what, the power is not a what, it's really a who because the power is, is the Holy Spirit of God. It's translated from the word dunamis which gives us the words like dynamic and dynamite. He doesn't say you're going to get power after taking an evangelism seminar, although those can be helpful. He doesn't say you're going to get power after you go through a discipleship class. That's a good thing to do. He's talking about the dynamite power of God himself, the same power that hovered over the darkness in the morning of creation, that parted the Red Sea for Israel, that knocked down the walls of Jericho. It's available to us. How will you have the power to witness to your lost stepfather? Because the same power that calmed the sea is in you. How do you know that your child is going to be safe if they go on a mission, trail, a mission trip? Or if God would actually call your children to go to some other place around the world, how will you know that your kids will be right? Because the same power that raised Jairus' daughter and the widow's son is inside your son and your daughter as well. How will you have a church with the power to do this? Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is working and moving in your midst and in your hearts. It doesn't come from intellectual or personal ability. It doesn't come from personality or people skills. It comes from the very throne of God himself. What was given? The power. When was it given? When the Holy Spirit comes. Not when football season ends. Not after graduation. Not after you finally land that job you've been waiting on. When does it come? It comes when the Holy Spirit of God comes on you. When does that happen? It already happened. It happened when you got saved. Romans 8, 9, but you're not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. This verse says, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not saved. So if all believers have the Holy Spirit, and if the Holy Spirit gives us power to be witnesses, then everybody can be a witness. And you say, well, I just can't talk to people about Jesus. Well, if that's true, God's a liar. I think what you probably mean when you say I just can't talk to people about Jesus 
is that you're not comfortable. That it doesn't come naturally. Can I tell you? God doesn't want it to come naturally. He wants it to come supernaturally. What was it given for? Ye shall receive power. When was it given? When the Holy Spirit come. Why was it given? So that you'll be witnesses unto me. When the Holy Spirit came, he came with a purpose. Not for chill bumps. Not for out of body experiences. Some people, probably in your town, they are in my town. They don't understand the word of God. And they want the Holy Spirit so that they can speak in an unknown tongue. Can I tell you the purpose of the Spirit is to help you use the tongue you've got to tell other people about Jesus. The task is to tell people. It's not about visiting uh, the, the sick or feeding the hungry or meeting physical needs. Brother Corey said that those things are a platform simply to be able to tell others about Jesus. James says we ought to do it and we should. But meeting these needs And ignoring the gospel is wrong. It has been said that the Holy Spirit is not given for our enjoyment, but for our employment. The missionaries to be engaged, ye shall. The means to be employed, ye shall receive power. And I want you to look finally and very quickly this morning at the map to be evangelized. I love the map in your brochure showing where your missionaries are. Acts 1.8 gives us a map. He said, you'll, you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You'll be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, Jesus announces the who, Yesha. He provides the what, the power of the Spirit. He even assigns us the where, unto the uttermost part of the earth. But I want you to notice that it started out locally, Jerusalem. It is true that the light that shines farthest shines brightest at home. Jesus didn't say stay in Jerusalem. Jesus didn't say stop in Jerusalem. He said start in Jerusalem. That's why your church has outreach every week. That's why I saw vans going out this morning. We have a driven ministry at our church. That's why we run vehicles all over our town like you do to pick people up who could not otherwise come to church. That's why at our church we have grief share on Thursday evenings. That's why we have discipled veterans like you do. Uh, That's why we're partnering with programs in our town to help families whose kids are struggling to read. It's why we're sponsoring student-led evangelism clubs in our high schools and middle schools. Why do we do these things? Because Jesus commanded us to go. And because it's as just as easy to go to hell from Springfield as it is from South Sudan, it's just as easy to go to hell from Republic Missouri as it is from the Republic of Ireland. It's just as easy to go to hell from Finley, uh, Ohio as it is from Finland, from the USA as easily as it is from Uganda. Thankfully, the Great Commission does not make us choose between our local area and our nation and the world. In fact, his commission requires that we're involved in all three. We start out local, then we spread out nationally. 
That's why I, I would love to spend time on these, but, but let me just tell you, that's why we partner with other churches like you, as I mentioned at the beginning. Churches who are involved in church planting efforts across this country. We're part of the Baptist Church Ministry Network. That's why we support institutions who train people uh, for the, uh, the ministry. Why do we do them? Because the Savior said we're to take the message and start out locally and then spread it beyond to the regions beyond. And then he said we're to go globally. We're to send out globally to the uttermost parts of the earth. Our church has taken that in a, I mean, our church has just taken this to heart. Can I just tell you how scared I was? Cherry Street had, I don't know, 10 or 12 families when I became the pastor sent out of our church. And it worried me to death. We, we were supporting missionaries at all kinds of different levels and And so we worked hard early on to try to get all of our missionaries up to the same level. That was a big deal uh, to us to get that. And then then we had sent missionaries and we started raising the support for our sent missionaries. And then God started calling them. Uh, Right now, when a a missionary is sent out of our church, we we give them a lot. Almost five times what we give uh, our missionaries that uh, that we support from other churches. And you say, well, that's good when you have one, but what happens when you have two? Because for every one sent ones, that's five others. And I used to worry, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, what's going to happen if you call another one? How are we going to, I mean, if you call two, that's another $1,000. I mean, God, where are we going to get it? You know what? I quit worrying about that a long time ago. You know what I found out? For whom God calls, he cares. Who God calls, he provides. We have to be people of faith. We have to be people of faith. When we send out other missionaries, you know what? We still need to support yours. We still need to take on missionaries from other churches. Why? Because we need each other. Of course, by sending out, make sure you understand, I'm not merely talking about money. Listen, I do want to unapologetically say, yeah, it is about money. It is about money. And we'll talk about more uh, this week. But we can't just send out money. We've got to send out members. In the last 15 years, we've sent out 36 people out of our church. Why? Because that's what God commanded us to do. That's why. You ask me, Pastor, would you like to have them back? Oh, my flesh would love to have them. I mean, those were the best of the best. Not that the people we got left are, are any slouches. You know, God continually is, is doing things. But I'm going to tell you what a wonderful thing it is when God calls. That's why we've got more people in our church right now that are called and they're in the preparation stages. Why? Because I think God says, you know what, that Cherry Street down there, I think we can trust them to send out a missionary. I believe God can trust Trinity to do the same. I believe it with all my heart. And there's ultimately one reason that we do it. We could describe it in a lot of ways, but here's one of the best explanations that I know. We do it because our Lord, our Master commands it. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts 
of the earth. What are witnesses? Witnesses simply tell the truth about what they know. If you know Jesus as your Savior, then when you are telling somebody about Jesus, what is the purpose? The purpose is because they don't know Jesus. If they don't, they need to. I was a kid living in the projects, so to speak, in Titusville, Florida. And Wendy Carell was the bus captain who came around and brought a red, white, and blue bus. This really wild-looking bus. They knocked on our doors and they offered my brothers and me balloons if we'd come to church the next day. I was in fifth grade and I didn't have a balloon. That sounded like a pretty good deal to me. And I went that Sunday and I got a balloon. And you know what else I got? Immediately I got connected to people who loved me because they loved Jesus. They loved me because they loved Jesus. People who people who'd have never lived where I lived. People who would never come to that side of town where I lived except that the Lord said, you need to care about them. And those people came where I live and they told me about Jesus. I understood my sinful condition. Ultimately, I understood that the penalty for my sin was to die and go to hell. The wages of sin is death. They taught me what that meant. That I, I, my sin has to be paid for. And then they told me, that I was unable to do it myself and that's why death was the only option. I couldn't pay for my sin and that's why Jesus came because he loved me so much that even a little kid that lived in the projects, he came so that I could trust Jesus as my Savior. And can I tell you the greatest thing that ever happened to me was when I understood the redemption price that was paid for me on the cross. It all happened because a church understood their mission. And their mission was local. Their mission was national. Their mission was global. But my dear friends, it all started because their mission was personal. Personal. Lord, I pray.